welcome back to Micro's main event. You know what? I've been doing this for a very short amount of time now, and I can't believe the response I'm having from guys being on this show. It's an absolute dream doing this. I can't, I can't believe it. The other day I'm sitting here, and my Skype goes, bing. Jeff Jarrett wants to add you on Skype. Bing. Al Snow wants to add you on Skype. I'm like, what is going on? Why am I, Mike from Hastings in England, talking to heroes from my childhood? But I, I'm managing to do it, and I'm having an absolute blast talking to these guys. It's it's so much fun hearing all the things I want to know about the business from back in the day to currently. And today's podcast is with Al Snow, honestly. Uh, a great talent, and talking to him, he knows the ins and outs of this business, and he speaks about it with such passion and such enjoyment that it's difficult not to listen to this interview and be like, ah, I love Al Snow, than to get on the network, the WWE network, and look up all of his historic matches. Um, I, I can't thank him enough for coming on the show, and I can't thank you guys enough for listening. Now, don't forget, please follow me on Twitter, at main event pod please subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you think be honest with us we want feedback so we can plan for the future because i want to be here for a long time so to do that i need your help but first before you do any of that before you touch anything on your phones on your laptops on your tablets wherever you're listening to this stay tuned because this is our snow Hi, Al. Hello there, Mike. How are you? I'm not too bad at all, Al. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I can't explain how excited I am. So, <laughs> well, well, hopefully, I can. You know, we can. I can make it good. We can have some fun. It's it's already brilliant. I <laughs> uh, sorry if I turn into a massive fanboy halfway through this. Oh, that's that's quite all right. I appreciate that very much. If it weren't for People being fans of what I did, then I I wouldn't have the opportunity to do what I love to do. So, absolutely, and you do it very well. I was doing some research um, about this, and I stumbled across a figure which I didn't believe. I read that you started in this business thirty three years ago. Is that true? Yeah, May twenty second of nineteen eighty two was the I had my first match. That's in, that's an incredible career you've had. It's been great. I've been able to fool everybody for 33 years. You know. <laughs> I don't know about fooling. Um, <laughs> let, can we talk a bit about the start of that? At what point in your talk life? Talk about anything you want. Oh, so. I'm very excited about that. You might regret that later on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 33 mm -hmm. years ago, you had your first match, but it must have yes. the obsession must have started before that. When did you go? This is what I want to do. Uh, when I was 14, um, wow. I very distinctly, clearly remember I made a conscious decision that 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 was that was, I wanted to be a wrestler. That I I just knew that I had to I had to do it. That I mm. wanted to be it more than anything else in the world. Um, I wanted to pursue being a professional wrestler. And at that time, uh, it's not like it is now. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't a proliferation of schools. Mm. Um, it was a very closed, very secular business. 
Mm. Uh, I tell people all the time, like back then, it was it was easier to be a made man in the uh, in organized crime <laughs> than than it was to be accepted and brought into the wrestling business. It was it was very much a challenge at that time. So how did you do it? How did you overcome that challenge? <clears throat> well, I just you know. Um, I started really simply uh, at that time that you know the wrestling magazines here, mm. uh, the promotions, the offices for the different territorial companies, and I would walk to our local uh, library, and I would, uh, you know, they had uh, phone books at that <laughs> time for each individual city that the offices were located in mm -hmm. i would look up their phone number i would call them oh wow i would ask them you know if they were training anybody if they'd be willing to train anybody etc and uh i'd always get to know you know mm -hmm. and um we continued to do that right up until the time that i was just about to graduate and from high school and uh at that point in time um the uh um, DECA or distributive education uh, class it was running a fundraiser and they were doing a wrestling show as a fundraiser oh, wow. and uh, one of the wrestlers uh, that was on the show his name was Jim Lancaster had uh, had interests and aspirations of uh, starting his own promoting his own shows he was kind of going into semi-retirement at the time coming off the road full time and uh, so I uh, got his number and called him. And the first time I met him, he told me, you know, no, and gave me the phone number of Al Costello, uh, who was a uh, world-renowned wrestler from Australia that was in Detroit, Michigan at the time. And uh, I persisted and uh, finally uh, convinced him to, to, you know, take a chance and to take me. And, <laughs> take me on, uh, please. Pretty much, and uh, that was it. I mean, you know, I, I got broke into the business, and um, and then have been very lucky to get to do the thing that I love to do for as long as I've gotten to do it. So incredible! So it's just it's just a story of someone just not giving up. Uh, just... There's yeah, there's a lot more details too. I mean, it's a much lengthier story, but yeah, there's there's a lot more. There were a lot more challenges. It wasn't quite. <laughs> quite that cut and dry or that simple that's for sure um that uh it certainly took a lot more than just that to to finally get in and then mm. once you got in you know um you know they they constantly the older veterans and everything constantly tested you and tried to you know you had to earn uh whatever you got once you were in it and to stay in it and uh they they did everything they could to try to crack you to get you to quit so well, that's uh, the famous thing about wrestling training, isn't it? It was something I wanted to speak to you about, because obviously you've not only had a long career as a wrestler yourself, you've also been involved in training for a very long time. Sure. Yes. Um, I've trained numerous uh, guy, you know, people who have become stars to varying degrees mm. in uh, lots of different uh, companies all over the world, including WWE. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk to you because obviously you were. I sat down recently on the on the on the WW network. Shameless plug there. Hopefully, <laughs> I won't get a, a legal issue with that. Um, <laughs> you were the with the original 
kind of coach of tough enough. And I sat down and I watched all of that. And um, it was famous then. I knew it as a kid. I know it now. That the wrestling, to train to be a wrestler was going to be hard. They're going to make you sweat physically and they're going to, it's going to be hard mentally and emotionally on that. Um, do you think that's changed in the time where you've started to become a trainer to what you see now? I don't think it's changed. I think it's still just as much of a challenge physically, mm. mentally, and emotionally. I, I'm not saying this because I have been one and continue to be so, but mm. uh, being a professional wrestler is probably without a question or a doubt the most trying and the most challenging as far as all three of those things are concerned. Mm to pursue as a vocation than uh, anything else I could ever imagine. I mean, it's mm. uh, people don't, they romanticize the idea of what it is to uh, be a professional wrestler mm. and perform. And, um, you know, and they get caught up in the energy and the fame and all of that. But <clears throat> quite frankly, um, especially if you're working for WWE, and please understand, I'm not when I say this, I don't say it in a negative way. Mm. I'm just stating a fact that you basically have to go out and perform because uh, you're only as good as the last time you perform. Mm. And in the, in the wrestling business, you're either one of two things. You, and there is no third option. You're either one of the things that you're the thing that sells tickets. You're the thing that motivates people to come watch the show. Or you're one of the things that help the thing that sells tickets. Yeah. There are no other, there is no third option. And the pressure to be one of those two things is immense. Yeah. And you're only as good as the last time you performed. Mm. And you have to perform at such an incredible level every single time you go out there, especially every Monday and every Tuesday night that you're on TV. Yeah. You're live on Raw around the world. And in front of thousands of people in that building and millions upon millions of people around the world, and you make, there are no retakes. Mm. There are no, you know, cut, cut uh, give me the line. There's none like that. Mm. It's all on you, and you have to deliver. And everything that's done with you is an investment of time and money. And, and a lot of guys don't realize that that includes the TV time mm. that they give you. So, you know, you've got to be worthy of an investment of, I don't know what it is now for WWE, but I know at one time it was it was $50,000 for 30 seconds. Oh, wow. That's what a, a commercial would cost on WWE Jeez. national commercials. So they give you 30 seconds, they put $50,000 in they give you a minute, they put a hundred grand. They give you six minutes, they've, they've basically put six hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. So, uh, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. So now, you got to go out there and perform under that pressure, but also the pressure that if you make one mistake, mm. if you slip up even to any degree, there's about sixty guys, sixty, seventy guys that are on the roster that all want what you have. Mm. They all want that TV time. And they'll do anything to get it. I was going to ask about that. Um, I was speaking with Nick Aldis earlier today, Magnus. Um, and we were talking about the act of, even though working in a company like the WWE TNA, 
is you're a big group of people you, you travel together you're very close but is there that idea that yeah we're friends but you know, I kind of want your spot absolutely yeah because they're not your friends friends are people that put your interests before their own mm. and not and there's no one that will, in, in the wrestling business that will do that they're friendly mm. um, you know but they're not friends they're competitors they're people who will go out there and compete with you to try to, you know, to get your spot. Mm. They want that TV time. They want, they want that spotlight. And there's only, you know, there's only room for, you know, a certain amount of people. Mm. And, and the more you become the thing that sells tickets, the more you become the one that influences and directs his own fate. Yeah. The more you money you make and, you know, and the more I, opportunities you get and both inside and outside the wrestling business so you know the platform for those things is immense and and so are the opportunities that come along with it and uh you don't think that somebody else is going to do everything they can to to take that from you they're absolutely going to and Mm. you can't blame them for it because you're going to do everything you can to try to take it away from yeah you'll do the same thing absolutely you will Unquestionably. It's a really. So it's it, it's a very, very, very competitive, uh, you know, environment. Mm. It's it's you have you you have to live it, you have to breathe it, and it's and the one preeminent thing that I tell everybody that they need to have if they're going to do it is a passion to do it. Mm. If you don't have that passion to do it, you, you just you you'll be the most miserable you know, <laughs> human being on the planet. I mean. So I wanted to ask you, um, if you don't mind, um, going back to the training um, kind of side of the business, there was recently about a year ago, 18 months ago, a bit of a a scandal within the WWE about Bill DeMott. I know you've worked with Bill closely over time. Um, Do you think that maybe that was just a bandwagon that kind of got out of control? I don't know. And, you know... Uh, I'm not saying this as a uh, as an avoidance of the question mm-hmm. because I, I I truly don't know anything about it. I haven't okay. been affiliated with WWE in any manner uh, no. for, for quite some time. Long time so, yeah. um, if I were to venture an opinion of any sort, it would be complete and absolute pure speculation on okay. my part. And you know, so many people these days do that stuff in a public forum where they speculate and assume, and then you know, uh, make a pronouncement of, of some kind of opinion. And, and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, opinion is probably the lowest form of of knowledge. Mm. Um, It doesn't take any true, you know, uh, education or empathy, Mm. uh, or experience to form an opinion. Mm. You can just generate one out of thin air. And then, and I would, if I were to give you an answer as far as, you know, what you just asked me, it would be complete Purely. conjecture and pure speculation. Okay. That's all it would be. Um, speaking of spec, I know you're currently working with TNA. Yes. After we saw, um, was it a brief return or was it a, a, just a pop-up the other night? Which, uh, uh, oh, in the mound for yes. gold? Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> who knows? They keep... They dust me off and drop me out every <laughs> once in a while. So I think it's because they know you can still do it now. I don't know. I try. I try. You know, I try. Um, 
I try to make sure that I'm not an embarrassment or anything by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't think you would be for a very long time yet, Al. I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> fingers crossed. So what is your current, current role at the moment with TNA? I'm a producer or mm -hmm. a, or agent, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, produce the matches and the segments yeah. uh, that I'm assigned. And, uh, and then, you know, on those occasions, uh, I'm an in-ring talent. To, you dust like, off head you know, and you're going out there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, if it's a situation um, like last, you know, the other night on the mm. pay per view with Bound for Glory, or uh, or like the you know circumstance with uh, Grado um, mm -hmm. from the British Boot Camp series, yeah. uh, you know, just whatever's necessary, you know, they ask me to do it, and mm. as long as they as long as they pay me to do it, then I'm yeah, I'm happy <laughs> to do it. I, but I. And to be quite honest, I, I love to do it. I yeah. love, you know, I still, to this day, absolutely love to get in. in I mean, it, that's the only reason I ever got into yeah. wrestling was, you know, to perform. It wasn't to be famous or to be a celebrity or, mm. or anything like that. I really, you know, I just, I wanted to perform more than anything else in the world. Awesome. So with your current role with TNA, does that give you the freedom to go and do uh, live independent events kind of around the, the around the world yeah actually it does and, then, awesome. and that's the great that's the great thing is that you know uh you know i can i can go and work for tna but i have the freedom mm. and the availability to you know uh go out and, and still wrestle on a quite a regular basis mm. um like this coming weekend i'll be flying over to frankfurt germany to wrestle for a group uh acw i believe um in you know this saturday and i'll be having a, holding a seminar and and wrestling in germany um you know i go uh pwu in ireland uh belfast awesome. i um you know have went over a couple of times and going back in december um you know i uh you know so i'm supposed to go to france october 24th for a group uh, and I, you know, I, so it gives me the freedom to do that. Mm. And, um, and then at the same time too, I also have been pursuing a lot of acting and, and I mm. have, you know, just recently went to Vancouver and, and worked on a film in Vancouver, British Columbia. Awesome. What film is that? Uh, it's called the perfect pickup. The perfect pickup. Um, yeah. So, you know, I get to, I get the freedom to go and pursue those things too. So, um, you know, I get to do things that I enjoy when I want to do them and, and make my own schedule and, <laughs> and then still be a part of something awesome. else. So, so it's, you're it's, still uh, keeping very busy. Yeah, I try to. Yeah, I've Good. been very lucky. Very, very Good. lucky. Good. Now, out of all these things you've done, as I said earlier, you've had a 33-year career, so you've pretty much worn every hat that you possibly could in the business. You've been a wrestler, a trainer. As you say, now you're doing the producing. You've been an actor, um seminars and stuff can you pick a favorite hat to wear as such or is it just everything in whole uh well as far as wrestling is concerned it's it's just everything i, I mm. enjoy everything um i genuinely do Good. um but i i've begun doing magic for the blind and i love oh. that i mean they, they they really enjoy it it's what? you know they love card tricks so you know, I just, I got to say ta-da after every trick because I don't know anything happens. <laughs> the easiest magic trick in the world. 
Uh, well, it's it's you know I don't have to practice, but you know there is a bit of presentation to it, and you know is this your card? Uh, I don't know. It is. And, uh, and then they're like, oh my god, how does he do it? Yeah, so, I'm very very good. You, you just oh, yeah. I'm incredible. So um, I want to talk to you a bit about. Uh, I could be here for ages. I typed your name into the WWE Network um, this past week, and I've just been just binge watching as much as I could. <laughs> Which is great that I can sit down and say to someone, oh, I'm busy today, I'm doing research, I'm going to watch wrestling for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's so many classic moments that you had with your time in the WWF, the WWE. Um, I've always been interested about, as a kid I always loved the hardcore element. Um, I think everybody did, it was very, very popular. And You were kind of the, the originator of making it as creative as it became in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, in moments like that, did you sit and plan things and say, I need the following props? Or did you kind of see what was available and work around it that way? I always kind of tried to see what was available and mm. then just kind of, and then, you know, what would seem like it would be naturally in that <laughs> and uh, not out of place. Mm. and try to make use of it mm. um you know and sometimes it worked out great and mm. sometimes you know it was a bit more of a challenge mm. so and you know the kind of the gimmick i guess of going out and around the building yeah. and all that kind of started by accident you know with road dog and i yeah we were, you know they wanted us to fight in the back and then we just ended up literally went out <laughs> knocked you know we push i think one of us got pushed through the door the exit mm. door and then went outside and it was snowing in worcester massachusetts oh, God. And, you know the place went crazy because we went you know we went outside and, was that an accident or was that planned it was kind of half an accident and kind of half <laughs> so. it kind of happened yeah we'll run with it and say it was meant to happen right exactly <laughs> Is there any moment in a match like that where you started to do the next, what is it, um, the next stunt or the next spot, isn't it, uh, where you thought, this might not work, and then all of a sudden, it was just an absolute highlight. Is there any moment that sticks out to you? No, I, you only, you know, none of them at the time, you just kind of, you're just there in the moment and you just kind of do stuff. Um, mm. The only thing that, you know, the one that I, you know, everybody always talks to me about Mm. or mentions and then i you know was you know when we were in memphis um at the saint valentine's day massacre Mm. bob holly and i and i was walking around and trying to get a feel for things and you know (laughs) the mississippi river runs right behind the arena yeah and i thought oh this would be cool you know and and i gotta understand it was february but it was warm during the day unusually warm you know um outside you know we were walking around without coats on and you know and I, i'm thinking to myself oh well, you know, uh, we'll just that'd be cool if we fought out here and you know bob backdropped me into the water or something and then you know i grab him and we're fighting the river you know mm. well when you know when it came time uh you know that water's a lot colder than what you think bet. and uh, not to mention it was a lot deeper and uh, <laughs> and moved a lot faster, and oh, uh, God. you know the current. So you know, at one point, I thought it was going to drown. Oh, God. And, uh, probably should have rethought that whole idea. But <laughs> I mean, it was 
it's a moment that people still talk about and remember. And to be quite honest, when I first started wrestling, I just, I only cared. I wanted to achieve three goals. And, 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 and you know, these legitimately were the three goals I wanted to do. And that was, I wanted to, most importantly, I wanted to make a name for myself. I mm. mean, that, you know, years after people, no matter what, would, you know, be able to say my name and know who I was. And, yeah. You know, leave some kind of mark on the business. Mm. And, uh, I wanted to make enough money to be where I could make a living doing it and nothing else, which mm. I've been very fortunate to be able to do. And um, I wanted to have matches that, uh, you know, created memories that people would would still remember. And uh, I think I've been able to do all three of those things. You've absolutely been able to achieve all of them. Because um, as I say, I'm a, a huge fan of yours. I have been forever. Thank you um, very much. I always... As a kid, I was a bit of a strange kid. It was all of my friends and family were like, "Oh yeah, Stone Cold Steve Austin's gonna be Vince McMahon." I'm like, "Yeah, but there's gonna be a crazy hardcore match, and Al Snow's probably gonna be swimming somewhere." So <laughs> that's what I was looking forward to. Yeah, and um, God only knew what I was gonna do. <laughs> and I want to speak to you about something there because something that got me in trouble as a kid, actually, and I'm kind of gonna blame you for it. Hmm. Um, I was at school one day. And in the playground, I just shouted, as an innocent young man at the top of my voice, what does everybody want? Head. Yeah. And the teacher called me aside and just completely chewed me out and had a go at me. And that's a shame. <laughs> you know why? It's because, it, 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 and this is, the, this is the truth, okay? The one thing that I always try to impress mm. upon everyone and... And I tried to do myself was I tried you you try to create as much depth mm. of character as you can. If someone can answer all the questions <laughs> about you the moment that you walk out, mm. there's no reason to continue to watch you. Yeah. So, uh, of course, adults all believe <laughs> that I was making some inference <laughs> to uh, oral sex. Yeah. But this is a God's honest truth. I wasn't. It was all about that, about the head, about yeah. the plastic head. Um, uh, because it was what does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? If you notice, I put the head in the air yeah. every time. And the reason I do is because physically I'm making, that's the, I'm pointing out that that's what you want. Yeah. Because the whole idea behind the character was that I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> After trying unsuccessfully for 16 or 17 years at that point in time to achieve some kind of notoriety, and even after I now became famous, you didn't really want me, you didn't <laughs> yeah. need me, and you didn't love me. You wanted head. You yeah. needed head. You loved head. And at some point, the whole reason I was doing that was because at some point I was going to get jealous and I was going to mm. turn on the head. <laughs> I loved that storyline, and and eventually go after you know have a feud <laughs> with the head, and you know and I kind of did that a little bit where I wrestled it a couple of times. Yeah, but I was going to have a full fledged like you know feud with it, and uh, <laughs> that was why I did it was to lay the groundwork for the feud was saying what does everybody want what does everybody need hmm. so that I would get eventually jealous. Hmm. And, and then I would turn on it. And then, you know, I'd make up with it and we'd be fine with <laughs> having a relationship again. So 
that was that was the whole point of that. So you know, it's sad because you know a lot of adults fail to realize mm. that children, you know, they, they don't have the same worldview. Yeah, they don't uh, they don't see things or understand things or hear things the way adults do. So mm. you know, if you were uh, you understood, you knew as a child. Absolutely. What I was I was what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about anything. I was talking about <laughs> that plastic head. Absolutely. That was, that was the idea. So, where did you that know. come from? Did you know when you you picked up that head for the first time? Did you know no. then that this is going to no. become? No, no. <laughs> I, I, the circumstances were uh, that at the time I was in WWE, WWF at the time, and and. Wasn't I was kind of in a dead end situation, mm. and I tried to. I had a two year contract, and at the end of those two years, ninety days prior, I sent my request for a release, and oh. um, Bruce Pritchard rolled over my contract and, and kept me. So I tried to quit, and they wouldn't. Oh. Um, and then, uh, and that was partly because I had a bad attitude, and you know, was pointing the finger at everybody else instead of okay. myself. And then. Uh, I, you know, I, I knew God bless his heart and, re, you know, rest his soul. Chris Candido, he and I were great friends. And, mm. you know, Chris, they, you know, ECW had, uh, Paul Heyman had a, an association with WB at the time. Mm. I went to Chris and Chris went to Paul for me and Paul went to Vince and I was kind of put on loan to ECW because I knew I had to basically leave mm. WWF to go someplace else to truly recreate myself and get myself over so where they would see me mm. and want to bring me back in a better position mm. or Paul would pay to keep me or WCW Eric the Bischoff mm. at the time would pay to take me away Yeah, and I knew that it was integral I had to do it huh. so um, I went there and you know Paul had the plans for me and you know he had no direction and you know he kind of left me to my own devices and, and prior to departing WWF I was trying to show that I was becoming unhinged by going mm. after Jim Ross and <laughs> things like that a couple of times when I lost matches. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, I started reading a book on abnormal psychology and, you know, read a book, you know, read a, about a woman, a case study who had uh, paranoid schizophrenia with transference disorder, meaning she transferred her illness onto inanimate objects, believing that she heard voices from inanimate objects and believed they were crazy, not her. So the whole premise is that I think the head is crazy. Mm. <laughs> and I'm completely healthy. Yeah. And that's where the whole angst came from between the two of us was, you know, uh, my belief that they were always, you know, arguing and fighting with me, but at the same time directing me and giving me advice that mm. you know, allowed me to succeed. But it was really, it was just me <clears throat> voicing my own frustration with my career. Oh, wow. Legitimately through the head, and that and that's why I believe it connected so much is because it really was it was me. It was true. It was well the stuff I said, and mm. my frustration, wow. and everything, and like that came through. Me to watch, you know, it was dark humor, and you know, yeah. I would always make sure that whenever you know, Paulie would say, "Hey, go do you know, go do a, a vignette," and you know, he didn't direct me or anything; he just tell me to go do something. <laughs> so I would. I go and I would make everything around me normal, and the only abnormal thing in it was the fact that I was sitting there talking to a head. So, um, and it worked. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Yeah. For the grace of God and the plastic head, you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've continued to have a career. So, 
um, I couldn't be I couldn't, I couldn't be more grateful <laughs> to that mannequin head. Oh, I love that head. <laughs> How many of them have you been through in your career? Oh, just one. I try to really? be very monogamous. Yeah, very very faithful. <laughs> you know. That's good and of once you. you. Once you find good head, kind of hard to replace. So you <laughs> Absolutely, wanna, yeah. Just wouldn't be able to connect. Would you? The, oh, you just don't want to let that go. You know. <laughs> You're an honest man. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about that, about, about head again. And I, I heard an interview, and I didn't believe it, so I had to look it up. And I, it was true. I found a list of 15 things that Walmart won't sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm on that list. <laughs> on that they'll, list. Sell a, they'll sell an AR, they'll sell an actual, they'll sell rifles, yeah. and they'll sell hunting knives, and they oh, will God. sell actual live ammo, <laughs> but they will not sell... Uh, my action figure for for fear that it is destructive to society. <laughs> absolutely, that's and, and absolutely I'm a little, crazy. I'm a little I'm a little disappointed, <laughs> um, because I'm I've been beat out by pregnant Barbie. So I'm number pregnant. five on the list. Damn pregnant Barbie! Pregnant, pregnant Barbie is number one. So. <laughs> I can't believe that's true. Um, when did you find out about that, and how much did that affect? What was going on at the time? Because you kind of brought it into a storyline, didn't you? Well, I, I wish we had done more. And, mm. and again, that's a missed opportunity for me. Mm. But we were, you know, uh, Blue Meanie and I were in Philadelphia uh, for Raw. And that afternoon, we were doing cardio at a gym prior to the show. And the at the headlines, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, this is, it's so absurd. Mm. I, it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> but you got you to gotta understand at the time wrestling was so popular yeah you know at that time and that was that was truly the you know the, the what the driving force but uh the three top stories on all three major all four major networks in the united states were abc cbs nbc mm. fox and the top stories were the mayoral race for philadelphia mm -hmm. uh in, in no particular order um, the mayoral race for Philadelphia, um, the Bosnian peace process, and them banning my action figure from Walmart. <laughs> so, for about a week, week and a half, uh, Time Magazine did a story on it. Uh, you know, Jay Leno and uh, Rush Limbaugh and a bunch of other media celebrities did jokes about it, <laughs> did comments about it, did commentary about it. Um, I, it was insane. And it was all because two women... Now, was that where it was from? Professors of, yeah, two women who were assistant professors of communications of all times. That's a very grounded Georgia. people. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, you know, they, they went into Walmart, they saw the action figure, uh, and I quote... Uh, it was a training manual for future spousal abusers, oh, God. which <clears throat> I contacted Jackson was like, hey, we should include something like that with the action. Yeah, a little thing, itself. yeah, a little booklet. Yeah, you know, yeah, hold up a phone book to your wife before you hit her. It'll cut down on bruising, oh, things like that, um, <laughs> which they, of course, turned down. Um, of course, yeah. But it was all because they thought it was a decapitated woman's head. Now, that's not the first time 
that that occurred. When I was in ECW, oh, really? we ran at a college, and I'd done a promo photo where I was holding the head by the neck, by the base. And I had it in front of me, and I was kind of flexing, you know, in at the time, what was my most muscular pose. <laughs> and I was um, holding it between with both hands. And, uh, you know, and the, it looked as if I was choking it. So, of course, a women's group uh, protested the event <laughs> that night at the college okay. because they felt like it was uh, inciting violence against women. Now, here's the funny thing. In ECW, there was a lot of violence against women. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, what? Yeah, lots. <laughs> and I wrestled Paul Diamond on numerous occasions, and he had a valet. <laughs> and when I would drop the valet on her head, the crowd would cheer. Yeah. And when I would lose matches, I would beat my head, the plastic head, up, and they would boo. So, oh <laughs> Such a I twisted... don't know if we needed the women's group to come to defend the honor of head as much as we did the valet. <laughs> the poor lady but, lay down in the middle yeah, of the ring. <laughs> and nobody seemed to care about her. Everybody seemed to care about that plastic head. Oh my god. That's crazy. I'm assuming, though, that every other store that supplied that sold pretty damn well, didn't it? Oh, it sold out. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't thank those ladies enough, and, you know, to this day. Granted, here in the United States, I had thought, thing, you know, expo- expose, espousing your opinion in a public forum uh, without any kind of basis uh, had went the way of the Salem witch trials. But apparently, um, <laughs> it's still a popular concept. So, I, I think it is. Uh, yeah, clearly it is. People <laughs> do it all the time. Oh, that's great. Um, can I, I've made a list next to me of all the things I want to talk to you about, and I don't think there's any chance I can get through it all without becoming a, an excited mess. Um, when you left the WWE at the time, how long was it before you went to TNA? Uh, it been it was a year or two or mm. so I would say a couple of years mm. maybe three before I went there before I went to TNA. Um, we spoke earlier about speculation and opinions and rumors on the internet. Um, it yeah. seems as though you can't go on the internet any single day without finding some random rumor or opinion about TNA. Sure. Um, why? I don't get it. Why has it become a thing that bashing TNA is doing any good? Because it seems though every day there's something new out there. I don't know. But the the same goes, why is it a thing to bash Raw Mm. and WWE? These same people. And I have had conversations. I mean, I legitimately had conversations with wrestling fans. And Mm. and don't get me wrong, I genuinely love and appreciate Mm. fans. You know, because thank God that you know, they're out yeah. there because if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. But I don't understand these people at mm-hmm. all. I really don't. And here's why. I, if I watch any program anywhere in the world on television, all it takes is for me to watch one episode of it. And if I don't watch it, I'll never watch it again. Yeah. Never. And if I, you know, I'm give it another chance and watch another episode or something. But if I don't like it, mm. I won't watch it. 
Just turn you know it what off. else? You know what else I won't do? I won't waste my time going on the internet to complain. Yeah. But the wrestling fans, and I, I, I think it's because of the old statement that familiarity breeds contempt. Mm-hmm. And I think that the most familiar fans, the fans that are the most dedicated and mm-hmm. the most and are the most familiar with both <clears throat> WWE and the TNA, are the most contemptuous. Mm-hmm. They will watch WWE or TNA repeatedly and do nothing but complain mm. about how bad it is. I but find yet it they'll crazy. tune in next week. Yeah, to complain now, again. Please understand what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Remember what a wrestler's job is not to wrestle. A wrestler's mm. job is to sell tickets. Yeah. To put butts in seats to generate TV, television ratings. Mm. The uh, last person that I'm concerned with as far as their opinion are those fans that are on the inter- internet complaining. Mm. You know why? Because they're critics. Mm. And if you're a critic of anything, whether it be wrestling or sporting events mm. or movies or anything, you name it, books, mm. critics never, ever, ever will write or discuss what you do uh, to either elevate you or to mm. tear you down. It has nothing to do with you. Critics will only talk about you and only write about you and only discuss things about you to put themselves, to elevate themselves so they mm. can tell everyone else how much they know about what you do. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with themselves. And if you remember, if you if you realize that your job as a entertainer, whether it's a wrestler or an actor mm. or anything, is to motivate people to pay to see you, mm. then you're guaranteed that you're going to sell a ticket to every one of those people on the internet who complain about you. Mm. Because if they don't watch you, they have nothing to complain about, and if they can't complain about you, they can't tell everybody how much they know about what you do therefore elevating themselves and mm. that's really all they care about yeah is that they want to differentiate themselves <clears throat> from other fans make themselves feel like they are on the inside of an industry or a business yeah. that they've never actually been on the inside of yeah and that they are not just your atypical guy who mm. pays to watch whatever entertainment they're watching mm. and they can separate themselves because they're somehow an expert yeah until you actually have experience in whatever it is you're doing, whatever you're talking about, then you're not an expert. Yeah. I don't care how much you know mm. about a particular thing. Uh, I always use this example. Uh, I love medicine. Mm. Um, I watch every show <laughs> about medicine, uh, doctors. Uh, I watch House. Oh, I watch a good VR. Show. I watch, yeah, it's a great show. Uh, MASH, uh, <laughs> Dr. Oz, Dr. Kildare, you name this medical show, I watch it. Um, I go on the internet every day and I Google oh, yeah. my own symptoms and I go on the New England Journal of Medical Science every day. Oh, wow. I've bought the Gray's Anatomy, the book, and I read it every day. <clears throat> but if I were to get sick or if I were to get injured, should I tell the doctor how to do his job? Absolutely not. Why not? 
Maybe because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I think and that's it, yeah. Should the doctor listen to me? Hell no. Why not? Because he's the doctor. Now, what he's... makes him a doctor? Not his knowledge, not his medical school. Because even after a doctor goes to medical school for seven years, I think it is, <clears throat> he now has to perform a residency for about three or four, doesn't he? Yeah. And that's so that he gets experience. Yeah. That now he can couple with his knowledge so he has a true understanding mm. of what he's learned. Guess what I've never had? I've never had that experience. So no matter how much knowledge I have, mm. I don't have a real understanding of what I know. Yeah. So guess what none of these people who proclaim that they're such experts on the internet don't have experience. Absolutely. Before they never actually truly understand mm. or have a real idea of what it is they know. Mm. Like, I think that's very important. When I do this podcast, I, I make it clear that this is a fan podcast. I'm, I don't know anything about what goes on. I watch the shows and I go, okay, that's what they want me to watch. I'm going to watch it. That's what I'm going to get involved with. That's... The storyline I'm going to follow. I'm not going to yeah. sit and go, oh, why is he winning the Royal Rumble? Why, why is he doing this? That's an, I don't want him to do that. Yeah, who cares? Who cares just what you think? It. Yeah. That's the storyline they want you to watch. Yeah. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Have fun with it. You, you probably can't see the whole bigger picture. Mm. A lot of times things are done for a multitude of reasons that you're not mm. going to realize or see for six, eight, twelve months. Yeah. So just enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Become a must. Yeah, why do you have to anticipate and outthink everything that's happening? Mm. <laughs> Come on. Too, I'm too lazy to do that. Absolutely. I just tune in and let myself enjoy it. There, there's a novel idea. <laughs> a rare one, that's, I think. That's like me trying to outthink Game of Thrones. I love to watch Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, but mm. I don't tune in every week to try and oh, well, why'd they let that guy live? Why yes. did they just kill him? Why didn't they? No. Or, Come on. The most annoying phrase I hear. That's not in the book. Well, no, it's not. You know why? Because it's not the book. Yeah, it's read, a television show, you moron. Go away and read the book then. Just leave me alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go in a go in a corner and enjoy the book. Well, guess what? The Rings. There was lots of things that were in Lord of the Rings that were in the book, and I've yeah. read the books all of them, all set of them about yeah. six times. So, <laughs> uh, fans, huh? Who wants them? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> So, do you still keep up with the, even though you've not been involved in the WWE for a long time, do you still keep up with the product, or do you dip in and uh, out? That's when I can. I just, I'm very busy, and it's, mm. it's very tough, and and I try very, it's very hard, mm. but I try to take the advice of, he was an old wrestler that I spent a lot of time with in Smoky Mountain Wrestling years ago. Mm. His name was Sandy Scott, and he was a very wise guy, wise man, and mm. he told me at that time to... You know, never let uh, what you do become who you are. Mm. Um, you know, and, and with wrestling, it's very easy to allow yeah. that to happen. And if you do, it'll eat you alive. Mm. I mean, it'll just, it'll consume you. It's and, very important to have know, the off switch, isn't it? It is. And to, ha and to you know, um, to not let it be who you are. I mean, mm. I, I am... Believe me, to, to have survived 33 years, I mean, mm. I've been incredibly passionate about wrestling. I, mm. I, I really have, and I still am. Mm. It's just that I realize, like, you know, there are other people that are very passionate about other things, like, you know, I don't want to be sound flippant, but, uh, you know, a guy who's, 
you know, has a passion and really a desire to be a, a, a carpenter, mm-hmm. you know, a woodworker. She doesn't go home and watch TV mm-hmm. shows on woodworking, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a point where he leaves that job behind, and, you know, and, and there's a point where you have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So what do you do to switch off then? What does, after, after a, a show or you've got a, a rarity of a couple of days off, what do you do? Um, well, it's becoming a little easier as I've gotten older, hmm. you know, to, to, uh, you know, find, you know, ways to distract myself. Hmm. But the wrestling thing is always there in the back of my mind, hmm. and always lurking and, and always somewhere inside. <clears throat> but, you know, I try to, I just try to devote myself to, to other pursuits, you know, hmm. like with the acting and, hmm. and things like that. Um, you know that I I enjoy as much and or or for different reasons, and uh, and just try to you know uh, case in point with you know with Raw and, and even with TNA try not to you know go home and mm. you know oh you know it's Monday so I have to sit down for three hours yeah. and watch Raw you know if I do if I get to see it great you know if I miss it well then I miss it oh, well, and, you yeah. know and you know in years prior. Um, that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, mm. when I was younger and I wanted to be a wrestler, I mean, it was all I did was eat, sleep, and it was who I was. Yeah. And uh, you know, but I realized that's a dangerous, dangerous uh, road to tread mm. because there's so many guys that have let it become who they are, and, mm. and when they have to, when it comes to an end or whatever, they don't know how to <clears throat> to go forward. They can keep going. Mm. So I imagine something you love to do. I'm just assuming here, but I assume it's a thing that every wrestler has to do just by looking at them. Is something that interests me, believe it or not. If you saw me, you wouldn't believe it. But working out and going to the gym. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy mm. challenging myself. Mm. But you know, there's a point that I kind of hate it too. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> what's amazed always amazes me is I hear guys who have been on the road talk about the mad schedules that they have the yeah. driving throughout the night um yeah sleeping in cars hotel room floors in a friend's house yeah. where do you find time to keep healthy to eat healthy and work out properly how does it work you just have to you mm. make the time even when you physically are just too tired i mean you, mm. you have to go and do it it's mm. it, and that's where the passion comes in because mm. you've You've got to be willing to, you know, that all comes down to, again, it's an investment of time and money. So you, mm. you've got to, you're trying to always constantly convince someone else to invest their time and money in you. Mm. Well, in order to do that, you, you've got to show them that you're willing to invest your own time and money in yourself, mm. you know, and, and that really is what it comes down to. If you're not willing to put the time in to make the sacrifice to, you know, um, do the things that other people won't do, and you'll mm. never have the opportunity to do the things that other people will never mm. get to do. Yeah, I mean it's that simple. You know, if you want what other people don't have, you got to do what other people won't do. Mm. Well, so I, it amazes me as I was saying the schedule. What, what was the schedule like when you were on the road, different states, different cities, every single day? Would you be driving um, throughout the night, or would you stay in that city, or what? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you would. It would just depend. Um, 
but the typical it's Groundhog Day is what mm. it is. Everybody thinks it's so exciting. If I if I hear one more person say, "Oh, you get to travel for a living," that's so fun. I'm gonna punch <laughs> him in the face. Yeah. I swear to God. Um, you know, when I first started with WWF, well, when I first started in the territories, it was mm. you know you worked seven days a week. Um, you know, you wrestled seven nights a week if you were lucky. If you could, you know, because you only got paid if you wrestled. Yeah. And when I first started with WWF, we'd go out for. You know, 10 days, go home for four, go out for another eight or nine, you know. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, you were you were on the road no more than I think it was 23 days or something a month God. at that time. And I forget the exact mm. schedule. And then it became, you know, when TV was live every Monday, then you were out for TV, you know, you were out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and every Monday, and then when, um, uh, and then we also Tuesday because we had the tape shows, but then we had SmackDown, so it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then you went home Wednesday, you were off Thursday, then you went back out Friday, mm. you know, and you wanted to be out Friday because yeah. you needed to be out Friday because you know if you weren't, then that meant you weren't one of those two things. If you weren't one of those two things, you were probably going to go away. <laughs> Um, uh, and you know, the, the romanticized idea that, you know, it's so exciting and, mm. you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not knocking it because I, I dearly love what <laughs> you have to do, but understand that your life in, as a wrestler is, is Groundhog Day. Mm. You wake up about now because of the flights have changed and everything. Yeah. Usually you probably around five or 6 AM, you will wake up and go to the airport to stand in mm. line to get your ticket. To then go stand in line to get through security. To go stand in line and get on the plane, which I've been doing this for a very long time, and I don't understand why everybody goes and stands and stands up and just stands in front of a door to get on the plane. Because oh, that's... I don't know if they give you a prize for getting to your seat first, but I've done it a couple times and nobody's gave me anything. So <laughs> I don't I get that either. Used. But you'll stand in line to get on the plane, then you'll get on the plane, and then once the minute that you land and you hear that ding, it's as if they're practicing a uh, fire emergency uh, <laughs> departure of the plane and everybody in the back stands up and tries to push their way yeah. out the front of the plane <laughs> to simply go to the exact same place you're going to meet them in 15 to 20 minutes yeah. when you get off the plane and that's the baggage claim. <laughs> yeah. Now they're going to surround the baggage claim as if they're starving children in a third world country and it's a UNICEF food truck and you can't move them. But you're going to eventually get your bags. And then you're going to go stand in line at the rental car counter. And you're going to get a rental car, you know, that um, sucks. And then you're, <laughs> you're going to then uh, drive to go get something to eat. You're going to go drive to the hotel to go stand in line to get in your hotel room. You're going to uh, relax. You're going to go then work out. Hmm. You have to maintain your physical uh, you know, because it's cosmetic business plus, you got to stay yeah. athletic. Um, then you're going to uh, go get something to eat. Then you're going to drive to the building. Now you're going to wander around backstage with people <laughs> who are just, for no reason, because it's the most awesome job in the world, they're going to be doing nothing but complaining <laughs> and moaning about the very job that they wanted and yeah. begged and pleaded to do. <laughs> 
so that you can then go out and perform and do the thing that you makes you feel the most alive for maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then you're going to go backstage with those same people, take a shower. You're going to go get something to eat. You're going to spend the next probably hour and a half to two hours on the phone with your significant other who hasn't seen you in probably seven to ten days and who is on the verge of collapse. Mm. And you're going to try to bolster them up um, uh, knowing that you're out for another three days and you're only going to go home for two and mm. be out again. Yeah. And try to convince them that, you know, hey, this is a stable, sane relationship. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, it's now one thirty, two o'clock in the morning that you need to go to bed because you're going to get up at about 6 in the morning and start the whole thing over again. Mm. Well, it sounds like the most crazy schedule. It's the same thing every single day. Every day. But <laughs> it is, the, without a doubt, the most awesome way to make a living. Mm. I, I have never once regretted having the chance, pursuing it, getting to do it. There have been incredible highs, incredible lows, but it, it, I, there's nothing that makes you feel more alive than to go out there and to get to perform <clears throat> in front of an audience, a wrestling audience and feel the energy and to be able to manipulate the emotions <laughs> to mm. such a high orgasmic level Mm. that, you know, you get to be a rock star, an action hero, a, yeah. an actor, a sports star, a soap opera uh, celebrity. Uh, uh, everything you can imagine, you get to be, and you get it all immediately. Yeah. It's that interaction and that, you know, uh, interplay between you and the audience that just happens and it's... Mm incredible and it doesn't matter if there's 10 people in the audience or 10,000 mm. or, or 60 it's it's amazing I bet what's it like I've always imagined this what's it like that feeling when you go out <clears throat> your music hits and everyone's and you look out and there are people holding mannequin heads people wearing your t-shirts that must be the most uh, the biggest adrenaline rush ever oh it's incredible because then I, for me anyways I always now I know I've got them right where I want them already. Yeah. And now it's going to just make it even that much easier for mm. me to build off of that and, and take them even higher. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, <clears throat> I, there's nothing that, there's no way that I could possibly ever mm. describe it. I bet. Do you prefer going out there as a, a good guy or a bad guy? Where, where do you feel more comfortable? Um, I'd rather be a bad guy. Oh, really? How come? Yeah. Well, you get to dictate the dance. You get to, you and and you're free. Mm. You're free to do anything. I, being a good guy's hard. Mm. You have to. Your job is to be the guy um, that everybody wants to be, mm. that everybody wants to live vicariously through, mm. to some degree or another. If that's that's important. If if that does not happen, if if the uh, protagonist of the mm. story is not a character that you can that the audience can do in any degree mm. identify with. It doesn't matter what the, the antagonist does to the character. Mm. It doesn't matter because the audience isn't going to identify them with them and therefore they're not going to care. Mm. And uh, that's a tough job. Um, you know, I always use the analogy that, you know, if we were to walk outside right now and in the parking lot and somebody was setting fire to a car, 
It's not your car. Hmm. Probably your reaction is, is, oh, my God, they're sending fire to a car. I'm going to call emergency services. <laughs> Why? It's not your car. You don't care. Hmm. If we walked outside and we saw somebody setting fire to your car, right in the middle of they're in the process of trying to start such a car on fire, you would probably run across the parking lot and attack yeah. the guy and try to keep him from setting fire to your car because you care. Yeah. If we walked outside and we see somebody trying to <clears throat> set fire to your locked car that has your family and your dog in it, you're probably going to run across the parking lot and try to kill the guy. Absolutely. If they do anything to my dog. <laughs> Correct. Well, now, as the protagonist, you have to be everyone in that building's car mm. to some degree. You have to be everyone's car, and the goal is to be the car with the family and the dog in it. Yeah. So that when I, as the antagonist, do one thing to you, I've just done it to everyone in the building. Yeah. That's a tough. That's a tough job. I bet. Who do you think, in your opinion? This is going to probably be a very difficult question, but who who did that the best? Who was the ultimate good guy? There's so many, you know, <laughs> and for so many reasons, and yeah. so many different, at so many different times. Mm. You know, Steve Austin was was fabulous. Mm. You know, um, you know, was was incredible. Uh, um, you know, Dusty Rhodes was amazing. Uh, Bruno Sammartino. Mm. Um, uh, oh God, I, you know, there have been so many guys. Uh, throughout the history of wrestling that, you know, Magnum T.A., mm. um, Tommy Rich. I mean, he mm. was in the United States was the first national babyface. In England, you know, uh, Big Daddy. Mm. Um, uh, Johnny Saint. Um, you know, but now here's the thing. For uh, all of those guys I just named, you had to have the opposite. You Absolutely, the, yeah. You had to have the antagonist that that because without the antagonist, then the protagonist is nothing. Mm. Without a mountain to climb, without <clears> a challenge <throat> to overcome, without somebody setting trying to set fire to the car, there's nothing mm. to cheer for. And mm. in you know, without Vince McMahon, Steve Austin would have been nothing. Absolutely, you yeah. Know, you know, without you know various different uh, bad guys, Dusty Rhodes would have been nothing. Without mm. Haystacks, you know, Big Daddy would not have been what yeah. it would have, you know, been. You know, without roller, you know, without, uh, uh, you know, I, I just can go down the list, you know. Uh, you know, I always use the analogy, you know, Jesus is the, mo is the most over baby face in the world. <laughs> History of the world. You don't get more over than Jesus. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Just, he had the best high spots. I mean, he walked on water, <laughs> he cured the sick, he healed the blind. I mean, you do not get more over than Jesus. Jesus was an over guy. That's what. That's yeah, the headline of this. <laughs> so over. But if you go in any Christian-based, whether it be Catholicism or Protestant or Methodist or Baptist or you name it, the, you know the next ist, whatever Mormons, hmm. they spend three quarters of their time in the sermons putting heat on Satan. Why? Because <laughs> if Satan ain't got heat, Jesus don't draw money. So you know. You need the heel to have heat. And and the only way the heel has heat is if the baby face gets over. And if the baby face does not get over, and what I mean by get over is make the audience want to be him, live vicariously, identify with him, um, 
then it doesn't matter what you do. I think that's my favorite wrestling analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> if Satan ain't got heat, Jesus ain't getting over. <laughs> yeah, Jesus ain't getting over. Um, but that's the same. But the same goes. You know, Satan could be on TV right now, chewing the head off a living baby. And if we, if Satan, if Jesus is not over, <laughs> where we know that Jesus can kick Satan's ass, and and get some kind of redemption, some kind of justice for what Satan's just done, well, then mm. it, you're not going to care. Mm. You know, again, we're back to it's not your car. Yeah. You know, Satan's out there in the parking lot. He's setting fire <clears> to a car. Well, it's not your car. Well, yeah. Just call. You know, we'll call emergency services. They'll and we'll leave it. Yeah, exactly. If it's your car, it's your car with your family and your dog in it, etc. Now, Satan, we mm. want to kill you. And the only person we know that can do it, Jesus, well, where is he? He needs to be in the parking lot. Absolutely. Speaking of having heat, um, it, I which don't... I'm sure I have just gotten a ton of by using <laughs> all of these analogies. So. I know, I can't wait for the backlash. I can't <laughs> wait for this. <laughs> um, Sacrilegious, how dare yeah. you? You heathen. Yes, this will be my last podcast with... <laughs> you absolute verbal whore. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, having heat, I, I watch I watch Raw, I watch TNA, I watch it all. Yeah. It's proven to be difficult to get heat. Whenever a bad guy comes out, everyone's on their feet loving it. Like, everybody why? loves Bray Wyatt. Why? Why do they love him? I don't know. Why? Does he cheat? Does he do anything deplorable? Does he mm. do anything to get the upper hand that's against the rules? Mm. Does he does he does he get scared? Mm. Does he beg off? Does he plead? Does he cry? Here's the main thing: Does he lie? Mm. Does he ever ever lie? Mm. Most most heels don't. Mm. Most heels don't cheat to get the upper hand anymore. Most mm. che- heels nowadays, and I'm not saying I you know this is a very much a generalization. Mm. But most heels will do something that's bigger, stronger, and more aggressive to mm. summarily cut off the baby face and uh, begin to kick the crap out of it. And, and always while they're kicking the crap out of him, it's always bigger, stronger, and more aggressive. So now let me ask you something subconsciously. Who do you want to be? You want to be the baby face that just did a bunch of stuff that, that didn't really amount to any of that heel, that in one move, straight up, heads on, Cut, he outdid the babyface. Yeah. The heels end up becoming babyfaces because they're cooler and mm. they're more interesting and they don't lie and they don't cheat and they don't mislead and mm. uh, therefore we'd rather be that. I mean, there's, there's you know, think about uh, a lot of the heels these days, not very wide per se, but there's a lot of heels that are, they're good looking. Mm. They're well spoken. Mm. They dress very nicely. Mm. They're tall. They're they're jacked. They're muscular. Mm. And when they get in the ring, they don't cheat. They don't. Mm. They don't. They don't do anything that makes you go, "Hey, wait a minute." Why? Yeah. What the, What the hell is that about? Yeah. Heat is not anger. Just so you know, heat is not hatred. Mm. Heat's a want or a need, a desire that you build within the audience. And, and a heel's job is never to get heat. A heel's job is to get the baby face over so that together you get heat. You mm. build that want, that desire. A heel's job is not that. That's why that I always preach that that stupid seven-step formula match is the death of the wrestling business. Mm. 
is is a heel's job is to get that baby face over. Now that mm. might take out of a six minute match, it might take you four and a half minutes yeah. to where that audience truly identifies with that baby face. And you might only get as a heel offensively one or two moves. Yeah. But those one or two moves that you do in a backhanded, underhanded, uh, despicable way mm. makes the audience now want to see that babyface come back and get redemption on you. Well, mm. when's the last time you've ever really wanted to see a babyface get redemption on anybody? You haven't. Because Absolutely. the heels don't do that anymore. No. The last heel that really did that was John was Layfield, John Layfield. John I was going to mention him. He was the he's the guy that nobody wanted to be. Yeah, he was this rich, arrogant <clears throat> jerk. He was who so went good. Out there and proclaimed how great he was, and then when he got his butt kicked and he cheated <laughs> to win, he then came out the following week and lied about it and told yeah. everybody how much he won straight up. <laughs> he, oh, I was watching that it, run recently. And, it was and listen. The business hasn't changed. Hmm. That still works. That is the way that it's always been, and it always should be. Hmm. You're the protagonist, and you're you're the you're either one of two things as a heel. You're either the the guy who will do absolutely anything to win as long as he doesn't get caught, hmm. or you're the mountain that the babyface has to overcome and climb. Yeah. You're so big and you're so strong, but you know what? At the end of the day, if the babyface starts kicking the crap out of you, you're not shy about begging off and pleading and, mm. and, and then waiting until he turns his back and then using your size to your advantage and getting the upper hand. But guys don't do that because they don't want to be the guy that's not cool anymore. Yeah. They don't, so they, in a sense, they become the babyface. Or if they don't become the babyface, then the crowd just simply becomes ambivalent. Mm. to what's going on in the ring because there's there's nothing to cheer for. There's mm. nothing to overcome. There's there's nobody that we want to see the person get redemption on. Think of Bobby Heenan. Think of think of, you know even Paul Orndorff, as great a good looking, muscular mm. guy as he was, he was a despicable, aggressive, nasty heel that would once the you know, he got the upper hand, he you know it wasn't that he couldn't wrestle. It wasn't that he couldn't compete. It was mm. that he wasn't afraid to, do, to cheat, to yeah. get the upper hand. And same with Rick Rude and on down the list of guys, you know, that weren't afraid to not be cool. Mm. Oh. And that's the what we're missing these days. We don't have heels anymore. We don't I couldn't have agree a, with you more. We don't have an antagonist. So a lot of our audience becomes ambivalent. Mm. Al, I think we need you in the driving seat of all things wrestling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that there are a lot of people within the wrestling business that would jump off the bus if I happened to get a hold of the steering wheel. So. <laughs> well, I'd jump on it. Al, I could talk to you all day long. Thank you. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap this up. I'm hating the fact I have to, but we've gone over an hour. Oh, thank you. I wanted to mention, too... Um, before we before I jump off, I wanted to say that if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the Real yes. Al Snow uh, on Facebook, also the Real Al Snow, mm -hmm. and um, and then uh, I've got some plans upcoming in the UK. Yes, um, please. What are they? Well, I'm looking at po the possibility of partnering with some people in London and uh -huh. uh, opening up a wrestling academy. 
there. And, that would be uh, awesome. You know, um, here in the very near future. So, you know, and using my connections to bring in different uh, guys to hold seminars and, you know, <clears throat> so they can get experience, you know, get information and training, you know, knowledge from not just myself, but mm. uh, a variety of other people who were in WWE and TNA and, and also a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, real, you know, uh, experienced British wrestlers mm. as well. So I got a feeling that will be very successful if you're at the helm of it. I hope so. I, you know, I love to train and I've been involved with it and with, mm. you know, tough enough and with, you know, my own, uh, endeavors and then, you know, uh, heading up the, uh, the um, developmental program mm -hmm. for WWE for years, and a lot of the top guys that are in you know WWE right now are guys that uh, that I brought, you know trained in uh, yeah. at that time. So I don't think know. anybody could doubt your ability as a wrestler or a trainer or anything in the business. I think as soon as that would open, people flock to it uh, for your knowledge and your expertise on the business. Al, and after this chat, you're such a nice guy. I can't thank you enough for this. Oh, no, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you giving me the time, and I've really enjoyed it, too. So, Thank you so much. Please keep in touch. I certainly will. If, you, if you're in the UK doing dates, let me know, and I'll be there with bells on. Um, well, I look forward to I it. I certainly Al. will. Thank, okay, you. Well, thank you so thank much you for your time. Much. I appreciate it so, so much. Thank you. You take care of yourself, okay? Have a good day, Al. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. How about that? Ah, oh, an absolute pleasure to talk to. This guy, it was just so good to talk to him. He knows so much about the business. He understands it all. It really was great to talk to him. I got a bit excited. I was giggling my way through it. Uh, I'm still amazed that I had the pleasure to talk to Al Snow for over one hour. Honestly, uh, a, a wonderful hour of mine. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Don't forget, you can follow Al on Twitter, at TheRealAlSnow. Make sure you check it out. Check him out on Twitter and on Facebook. He's hilarious. He always updates with what he's up to next, his next live event, his next movie, whatever he's up to next. Keep an eye out on him, especially if you're in the UK and have any UK dates coming up, because I can't wait to go and see him. Thank you again. Don't forget to subscribe. And to follow us on Twitter at Main Event Pod for any updates that are coming up. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>